Miss New America NYC event took place on October 8, 2017, and is titled Human Flow A Conversation with Ai Weiwei, Richard Gere, and David Miliband. Well, good evening, everyone.、Um, you're in for a double. Treat. Not only do you get to see the film, but you get to talk to two remarkable、uh, players in the world's dramas, really.、Um, I'm really thrilled to be here on a panel with Ai Weiwei and with Richard Gere.、And、my name is David Miliband. I'm the president and CEO of the International Rescue Committee, which is a global humanitarian charity headquartered here in New York、uh, and working in about 30 countries around the world, many of the places that you've seen in the film. From the first scene in Lesvos to some of the scenes at the end in、uh, Kenya,、uh, the IRC is there. And we're going to have about 20 to 30 minutes to talk amongst ourselves about the film and about the issues that it raises. And then we very much want to encourage you to pose your questions and express your uh, thoughts. Uh, I'm going to start with Ai Weiwei and ask him if he could tell us what made him. Make this film? What was it that gave you the determination to visit 23 countries and bring 200, I think, a team of 200、uh, to address this issue? Well,、um, I grew up in China. I have to mention that because the year I was born, my father was exiled. So I have some experience to. To be with the family which has been、um, characterized as the enemy of the people or enemy of the state. Often the state, the parties, same thing. So I grew up in very, very dramatically、uh, difficult situation. So that gave me、uh, some understanding about the people who has been victimized or has been by war or by. All, all different kind of reasons and being discriminated and、uh, badly treated、uh, on their way seeking some、uh, safety, sure,、uh, or 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 even to have their children to have a chance to develop. So that's、uh, that's the background. And when I see this refugee situation. When it's getting so big, so I normally I don't know I'm become just like any of us speechless. You know, it's, it's something too big and、uh, too heavy. But、um, as an artist, I I always think there's a way you can get involved. You know, because my my job is to to speak out and to express myself. So I decide to go to Lesbos with my son, and you know that's the film just started. It's really a personal a temptation to learn. I, actually, I know very little about the history in either,、uh, in anywhere like Middle East or Asia or or Africa. So the only way to To learn it, you know, I'm already 60 years old. I think this I still have a chance to 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 understand what is happening in the world, and I think it's very very important for any individual to 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 have a right perspective or intelligence by understanding those situation. So that's how get me involved. And what surprised you most 
in all these places that you went to that you never thought you'd visit, and all these people who you saw whose condition you could empathize with, what, what surprised you? There's uh, so many things uh, are unthinkable. You know, if you see those camps, I've been uh, those we visit about 40 camps. Uh, some are very large, could con uh, contain about half a million people. Now they are new camps uh, from uh, Myanmar, could be 900,000 developed even so fast. But you see the images, a lot of them are children and women. It's, it's really unthinkable. Some, some about you have half of the children, you know, it's, it's those children even have no adults attend, you know, it's just a, a way the parents want them to escape from the world. So, and, uh, and also many, many other issues, which, uh, but uh, the children, and uh, what would be those children's uh, future, and the current condition is so sad, but what will be their future, and that is always uh, striking me. I mean, the most shocking thing to me uh, in my four years working in this field is actually the duration of displacement. I mean, you, quote, you have the Jordanian princess who says it's about 25 years. The, the best facts we have are that when someone has been a refugee for five years, the average length of duration becomes 21 years. And that's the most shocking thing to me because all of one's expectations are that refugee status is a short-term thing and then you go home. But actually less than 1% of the world's refugees went home last year. So it's long-term duration and it's long-term duration of displacement in cities rather than in camps. There's about 25 million refugees in the world today. That means they've crossed borders as a result of war or persecution. And of those 25 million, about 4 million are in camps. So most of them are living in, in urban Areas. What did you, did you pick up this point about how how it's a completely different challenge to have someone displaced for a long time rather than just keeping them alive for a short time? Yeah, both conditions are, are, are you know none of those conditions are acceptable. The, in the camps, there's is no life there, but the people, of course, they prefer to be in. Um, in not really camp, but also not really a city. You know, it's, they build this kind of locations, sometimes two, three generations already there. But uh, the, the status of refugee are, in, even in most nations like Turkey or, or some others, they don't recognize them as refugees. So they don't even get refugee status. Many nations just say they're guests, uh, which has historical reasons because in the before the the words refugee ever come up, and um, those people are always uh, shifting uh, from one location to another, you know. So when they don't get a refugee status, they don't have uh, an ability to work or to. To really, it's not they have, they cannot get money. It's really they don't get any kind of recognition. They are, they are there, but they are not recognized. They are almost like a, a human being with any kind of identity, and that could stay there for twenty, thirty years or generations. 
uh, that is really horrifying because we all need identity. It doesn't matter. Even you, if you are prison, you still have some identity. But as a refugee, you really as a class uh, or human being with any identity. Well, at least a refugee has a, a status of sorts. But if you are born to refugee parents in a country that was never yours, then you really are in limbo because you're neither a citizen of the country that you've come from nor of the country that you're in. Richard, you're here tonight as a humanitarian, but you are the only American on the panel. I'm going to get the brunt of this. <laughs> America has traditionally uh, been the country that has resettled the most refugees in the Western, of the Western countries. America has traditionally taken about half of the world's uh, resettled refugees, which is obviously a, a small minority of the total refugee population, but this country has obviously been enormously successful in welcoming refugees who then contribute to the country. What's going on here? Well, the, uh, let me dispute the numbers. You said 25 million refugees. I yeah. think the number could also be 60 to 70. Well, no, the, the, well, just, just, just for accuracy, the 25 million is refugees. That means people who have fled their homes as a result of war or persecution. The, the 65 million that you're thinking about includes the internally displaced. But so that's, they're, they're technically, but that's, yeah. that's also the same kind of pain that we're dealing with, whether it's economic or otherwise. But people who have had to leave that, that sense of security that allows us all to be successful. Yeah, the economic is on top. This is only the 65 million. No, but that's only okay. the... I'm just saying that the numbers of people who have mm -hmm. left their home, not just their country, mm -hmm. uh, is enormous. I mean, you could speak to this in China, the number, the hundreds of millions of people who have left the countryside and have gone to cities trying to find a life. Um, several months ago, I, I found myself, of course, asking, people ask me about what's going on in this country. And, and, and who is this president? And I, and I found myself saying one of the worst things that he has done, the cruelest things he's done, has, has now conflated two words, refugee and terrorist. You can't think of refugee now without thinking something dangerous, bad, um, let's, let's keep them away. Uh, but the refugee means someone who's running from a fire. Someone who's running from danger, looking for refuge, looking for help, looking for security, looking for a safe place for him and his family. And this man, one of the cruelest things he do has done is to, to change the meaning of language. And specifically this one, I think, is, is one that he'll have to pay for in hell. Um, uh, let, me, let me begin by saying this, this film of Highway Ways I think is really an extraordinary film. And not just because it speaks to what's happening on the planet, but the way he's done it. There is a, a we were talking about it just before we walked in here, but, but I'm, obviously there's a, there's a core of anger as an artist of, of that this should not be this way. This, this shouldn't exist on this planet. We can do better than this. But his work, not only in this film, but his, his other work, comes from a soft place in the heart and an understandable place that we are all human beings doing the best we can and we can do better. And we are all in this together. So I, I think it's a kind of film that may reach over the borders from Democrat to Republican in a way that 
can affect change. And that's really what we're talking about here. I mean, it's not just a cry in the dark, but let's affect change and touch everyone with this sense of shared humanity and shared responsibility. And I think that's what, what you've done with this film, is taking us in that direction, which I really appreciate. Don't you think it's remarkable in the film how the, the, the great number, so let's say 65 million, becomes humanized through the art form? And it's actually, the things I remember from the film are the, are the, the words and the voices of the, of the refugees themselves. Yeah, I remember when, when I first, it was about the time I started getting involved with the Tibetans, but I was also in Central America. We just started talking about it before we walked in. And I was in, um, in, in El Salvador and, and Honduras and Nicaragua. And um, the, they were being demonized at that point by Reagan that, again, it was conflating everything. They were terrorists, these were bad people, they were communists. Communist terrorists became the same kind of thing. And, and it wasn't just people who were looking for a fair shake in the world, but they were fighting against regimes and totalitarian states that were completely supported by the U.S. government, by us. And I went down there and could, could see that for myself, I knew it intellectually, but to see it for myself and meet real people who were telling their simple stories of just wanting a fair shake for their families and for their kids and just some safety and, and refuge in the world. Um, when I was able to bring some of them back and take them from congressman to congressman, it made a huge difference. It's the human contact. It's really talking to someone who has their own private pain, but it's, it's universal. It's completely understandable, this drive for, for safety, for, for their family, almost all of them. It's always for the family. And to see the tragedy of a father, you have several images in here of fathers who cannot protect their families. And what that does to a man when he can't protect his family, uh, heartbreaking, heartbreaking, but completely understandable and a deep place for, for all of us in this room, all of us in this country. Um, Ai Weiwei, one of the things that you bring out very well in the film is the breadth of races, ethnicities, and religions that are afflicted by persecution. Uh, nearly half of the world's refugees are Muslim today, yet, and the, um, the way you give voice to them, I think, is very, very striking in the film. Um, I'd be interested in hearing you talk about whether, it was, whether you found it different to be filming in the Middle East versus parts of Sub-Saharan Africa. How did you find distinctiveness versus commonality in the experience? Well, I, I started film with almost no knowledge about uh, refugee situations, not like you, long time involvement with uh, um, as a voice for human struggle and uh, especially what happened in Tibet and in many, many locations um, very often being forget. And uh, so I, for me, it's a really a personal journey to, to start to learn and to, to try to say who are they. And uh, if I face them, if I give them a few more seconds or to look at them and to really, to, to get close, to touch them, to cut their hair or let them cut my hair. 
you know, to, to share a little bit of dish with them, sitting in the tents, you know, it's just for me to feel this human uh, feeling because you have to use that to against all kind of, um, you know, propaganda or all kind of images created by whatsoever, you know, so with all kind of political um, intentions. So I do feel, I never met someone I don't love, you know, I, I, I see every of them, the, the young one, the, the old one, the, the one, you know, I would never understand their religion or their, you know, their language or their, even their living habit. But still, I really feel very close to them. They're, they all, uh, I should say, very honest people and people with uh, integrity, even small children, even you know, in the most difficult situation, you offer them some candy, they would go back to ask their parents to see if I can take it, you know. I, I think those kind of education only happens in the so-called modern society or something, but those people are so respectful. And you don't see children crying all the time now, you know, it's no argument between them. And the big families could be 30 people, they, they all have to, if only a few would have a chance, they said, no, we don't, we always, always stay together. So it's very hard for 30 people to move. And, uh, and some old people, like 90 years old, are being carried by young people. They don't even know each other, but they, they all have the same goal. You know, they all believe in life. You know, a Syrian girl, you know, you, we all see, she has to carry her cat. Doesn't matter how difficult it is, you know. All those things are very, very human, we call it, you know. And also, we, very often, we don't see in, in the society I'm very familiar about. You know. So this is, uh, for me, it's tremendous uh, uh, respect for those people. And is there anything that you want people to do having watched this film? Is it, it, Richard says it's a call to action. Um, is that how you see it? I, I see a lot of people uh, in this uh, refugee crisis as uh, you know NGOs, as Euro NGOs, also volunteers and young people. They contribute their knowledge and their skills, and really saved a lot of lives. Uh, and I think basically European are not helping them that much at the beginning, and then later, uh, still uh, I, I don't think uh, the government. Uh, uh, did far from enough. It's not really even to to meet the lowest uh, conditions. We think that you know the government can treat people like that. And uh, you see, uh, we are we have a, we have so much stuff. We we are really very um, you know we are so privileged our life. But at the same time you feel this privilege become a crime if we don't share feelings with, uh, you know, the people are so uh, in such a bad condition. And uh, this is uh, not just happened as a regional problem, a really global situation. Richard, the, if you look at the polling data, uh, mainly in Western countries, the greatest animus towards refugees is in communities where there are the fewest refugees. Um, that was true in the US, it's true in the UK, if you look at the German elections, if you look at the French elections too, the Dutch elections. The, 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 the cosmopolitan melting pots, the big urban centers, 
reveal much greater degree of calm and embrace of diversity. Uh, but obviously that's a real chicken and egg problem if the places that don't have many refugees uh, have most animus. Um, how do you see that resolving itself, or do you see that resolving itself? Look, it's, it's basically along the lines I was saying before. It's all experience. And people are almost always afraid of what they don't know. Um, the, the more we spend time with each other, we're curious about each other. That's, that, that's again, the, 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 um, the great sin of this presidency, again, is to exploit the fear of the other in, in a way. Um, we had a president before who did just the opposite. It was always presenting the other as, as, as us. And we felt comfortable with that. There was an elegance to that. There was a, a sense of, oh, yes, that's the way it is. Uh, comfort. You could feel the country, I mean, not the whole country, but in general, the country relaxed. Seeing that there was a way forward with a lot of work, it's hard to transform ideas. It's hard to transform cliche projections um, of the other. I do a lot of work in, in Central America, in, uh, in the Middle East, and I'm always amazed at how many of my Jewish friends in Tel Aviv hate Palestinians, have never met a Palestinian. <laughs> never met one. And we're all like that. We all have a tendency to, to feel it's a zero-sum game. And there's only so much to go around. If I've got it, then, you know, I don't want to give it up. But it, the world doesn't work that way. There's, there's no limit to love. There's no limit to responsibility and affection and wisdom. This, this is a geometrically expanding universe of possibility. Um, and any leader who tells us it's a zero-sum game uh, should end up in jail. Um, in a moment, I'm going to ask you in the audience to, to put your questions, but I want to ask Aiwaiwai, Aiwaiwai, um, sorry, um, about solutions, because the film is quite long on suffering and um, doesn't give much attention to what is really what you saw really working. Just to give you an example, um, Uganda has received a million refugees in the last year from South Sudan. And whatever else goes on in Uganda, one thing that Ugandans do very impressively is every refugee family gets 50 square meters of land, actually reduced to 30 square meters of land because of the flow in the last year. Uh, every family gets access to universal services. Uh, every family, um, every refugee has an entitlement to work. Every kid gets into education. And there are some important, and, and by the way, the, uh, when I was there in June, the average annual income in Uganda is $962 per person per head. So it gives lie to the idea that it's somehow rich countries that are bearing the greatest of the responsibility. The top 10 refugee hosting countries constitute 2.5% of global income. So they're relatively poor countries. But maybe you could say a bit about what you saw that inspired you. There's obviously a lot that appalled you on your 23-country journey, but what, what inspired you to think that there were ways forward? I, I think uh, we have to keep talking about humanity. I, I think uh, in this world and so many 
argument and so many different policies and uh, some uh, historical argument and uh, some, some are current, uh, you know, a lot of, uh, it's endless. But if we have to talk about the humanity, we, if we talk about we all created equal, all, all those very fundamental ideas, I think those are uh, much easier to solve. You know, if I, I think the, the Italy and the Greece uh, um, did a lot for to accepting the refugees. Even many European nations think those refugees just should be pushed into the ocean and not let them to even to approach the Europe. But uh, those two nations are still let them, you know, even maybe not willingly in many cases, but still let them to 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 you know to stay or to to get. Uh, get on land and not just push them into the ocean. I think uh, this, I, I, I talked to some officials uh, in, in, in those cases, they, they simply think they cannot do those things, you know, for their understanding, their culture about uh, humans' movement and, uh, you know, humans' need. Uh, simply, it's just beyond their belief to, to have any kind of excuse to push those people in danger and not to let them, not to let them to, to find a, a safe place. <clears throat> so I think uh, I believe um, this world, um, all the tragedies are really made by human. You know, even environmental problems still uh, cause the, you know, human contribute so much to to that. So the consciousness about the individual and the to to trust the individual's uh, humanity is 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 most important because anybody can really help another person and that can understand another person. I mean, we otherwise we cannot let uh, all the politicians to de to 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 design our life or our way of our living. So that's the only way is to to speak the words around and to 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 tell people the story and to to show your you know your your empathy on the people thank you very much who wants to ask a question sir in the red and the orange um thank you very much steve shapiro core club member uh, thank you very much for this evening and for all of you being here, and uh, Richard and Iwa and David, of course. Uh, two boring questions. The first is, could you just tell us what your own status is vis-a-vis -vis China at this moment? Those of us following your career from a distance uh, have gotten used to you being under house arrest for so long that to see you here in New York City is uh, is refreshing. And if you could just bring us up to date, and I even saw the piece in the Times that said you're looking at a place upstate for the weekend. So I'm just curious about that. And then a more practical question, which is, um, what are your plans for the film? If people here in this room uh, are able to connect with influencers and decision makers and have the opportunity to present this film in other contexts is that something that you uh, would would make available thanks my status I'm a Chinese citizen I have been um, quite active uh, on internet and uh, speak out for human rights or 
freedom of speech. And uh, that brought me uh, some difficulty. So I was uh, detained or without charge and, uh, and uh, also self-detained for years. And I cannot travel till 2015. And uh, since I have had my passport, I stayed in Germany for two years. I'm teaching as a professor in uh, art university. And these two years, I, I basically uh, devote all my time for two things. One is making this film, another is uh, for my art career. You know, I, do, I did a lot of experiences, but in every of those experiences, the uh, refugee uh, topic is always, uh, I try to put uh, in many ways to just to bring uh, people more conscious about this issue. And uh, I'm thinking to move back to New York, which is a place I spent about uh, 10 years in 1980s. The reason is, uh, two reasons is um, my son and, and me, myself, don't speak German. My son started to learn German, but uh, I want him to, uh, because I don't speak German, we have to find an English-speaking uh, country. But we, we, we all Chinese citizens, uh, you know, we hold Chinese passport. And, uh, yeah, is that? That passport When they gave me my passport, they said, you're free. I, I tested it. I said, free means I can go and come back. So I went back and also I want to show them I'm not scared because, uh, you know, I'm not someone just have a perfect reason never go back. But uh, I went back. Two of my lawyers are still in jail. I only had two lawyers, both are in jail. One's uh, five years, one serves more than 10 years. It's a real uh, tough condition for many, many my colleagues or so-called my activist friends. They are being held without trial, they are being put in the secret locations. No lawyers, no families can ever really approach them. And those are very open, you know, everybody knows it, but uh, it's very hard to communicate with this kind of power right? because they just simply don't listen to you. And, and uh, the film being taken by people here to locations? He, he, he oh, was asking yes, the second question. Uh, we are working with a um, uh, participant, which is a company which uh, uh, um, being make a great effort on social concern and. Uh, this film, we already uh, approached uh, in Washington, D.C. We had a show. You, we have a um, congressman from both sides. And uh, I think they both, uh, they all uh, very uh, impressed and also deeply concerned uh, about this, the same refugee issues. And uh, we also, uh, as you said, we try to um, put this film in every level, that some, some are decision makers, some are influential people, and uh, some uh, maybe universities or high schools, you know, just uh, 
to use that as a platform to generate more discussion and consciousness. And Thank also, you. we are, are, in many ways, we are, we are trying to bring, uh, the, to bridge the people who want to help with the, the, the people uh, working on the front line, you know, the NGOs or, or volunteers. Yeah, there's a lady on the back, on the right, yeah. Yes, thank you. And then we'll go to the far back row. Sure. Uh, Sana Mustafa, thank you for putting this event together and thank you for effort, your efforts on showing who we are as refugees. I think in the documentary we see so many individuals speaking on behalf of governments, INGOs or other um, other stakeholders about on the refugee crisis on and about refugees, but we don't see enough refugees speaking about themselves beyond the storytelling or sharing few feelings. And unfortunately, even now on the panel, we don't see refugees with you speaking about themselves. And I would say speaking about themselves, meaning beyond the storytelling, I think refugees have some um, insights on analyzing your question, for example, about solution for the refugee crisis. So could you please speak into this? Thank you. Ask me. It's a question toward me. Uh, yes, uh, it's true. We 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 have we did about six hundred interviews. Most interviews uh, 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 we did with refugees, and uh, basically, I think they all had one story. And of course, every every story are so horrifying, but. They all had one story, it's just one side of the road. And we didn't give enough voice. And we, of course, we, we want to see different levels of people. Some are officials, a lot of them are, are dealing with the issues. You know, the uh, UNHCR people and, uh, and a lot of them are uh, even politicians. So we try to have uh, the people who really can help the refugees, and uh, and those people, I think, are, are really uh, we want their voice. We want to see what what kind of solution that can be. But of course, we 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 also want to publish a book about all the interviews. You know, in the film, it's very hard to get into uh, two personal stories to to develop it, because you need to really develop it. You cannot just ask people talking. And uh, since we cover in so many locations and uh, such a uh, very complicated, uh, complicated issue uh, in here, that's uh, the film structure we did. It could be too little, so. Thanks so much, right at the back, Bal Das. Thank you. Uh, thank you, David Bal Das. Uh, I was deeply moved by the quality of your filmmaking and the humanity it brings forward. Uh, David, this is more a question for you, reflecting on what uh, the humanitarian and actor Richard Gere pointed to, that just about at the point in time where between 25 and 65 million people are seeking refuge, in the average mind of the common people which hews towards being a humanitarian, a fear is being set forth that refugee and terrorisms are being collapsed. Could you share your thoughts, David, as the leader of IRC currently? How does a civilian, how do folks who otherwise support the work of IRC, otherwise, as I said, preponderantly lean towards being humanitarian or giving in to those emotions? 
how, how do you counter that narrative? How do you press on? That was more some reflections from you. Thank well, you. Uh, very briefly, because people will want to ask uh, the others on the panel uh, questions. I think that it's very important, first of all, to understand that we are living in an age when some people are afraid of refugees and others. But actually, for everyone who's afraid, there's someone else who wants to stand up and say, actually, that's my heritage, or that's my brother stroke sister. And we find in across the country, we, we run refugee resettlement in 28 US cities. For every person who's afraid, there's someone else who wants to come around with the brownies the day after someone uh, moves in. And that can be in Midland, Texas, Houston, Texas, Dallas, Texas, not just uh, New York or, or, or LA. The second thing that I think we've been guilty of in the last 30 or 40 years but is that uh, certainly in this country and probably in the country I come from, the UK, too much of the um, benefit of both refugees and of migrants, frankly, have been taken for granted and not been argued for. And there's been a complacency, a, a culture of complacency. Certainly, I, I think in this country, there's been an assumption that this was accepted and it, it wasn't accepted. The third and most important thing is that the way to convince people is through action, not just words. And it's when people, I love that phrase of Jonathan Sachs, it's when we build our house together that we'll all be able to live in it happily. And I think that's a really potent way of thinking about employment, sports clubs, community work. It's when we do things together that we understand that our differences are superficial and actually our humanity is much more common. So very briefly, that would be my um, answer. Now, the good thing is we've got two people next to each other, or oh, only one. Oh, you're speaking for your daughter, that's, um, oh, okay. <laughs> okay, thank you. Um, yes, hi, uh, Paige Robinson, I'm a sophomore at Wellesley College. Um, I just have two questions just about the filmmaking itself. Um, firstly, I just find it just fascinating how big of a scale you did in making this film. So I was wondering why I decided to approach it from such a big scale as opposed to just focusing in on one area or one or two areas. Um, and then secondly, I was wondering um, when this film was being made, who did you have in mind to be watching it? Like what, who did you ideally want to target this film towards? Thank Great you. questions and last questions. So um, uh, Ai Weiwei should have the last word. Uh, <clears throat> the scale, um, first, um, there's many refugee films about uh, personal or individual stories. And uh, my, my interest is to, to have a more global uh, understanding because refugees not very often we only talk about refugees in, in current uh, conflicts. And uh, I, it's really for myself, I need to know the history. And uh, also in the past, you know, in, or in the literature or poetry or writings in Bible or clan, you know, what they talk about uh, in the history, how they, they, they think about uh, this human move, human, human flow. So, I always think this is not uh, just a crisis, but uh, rather a, a human's dignity to have a chance to, to move, and our culture and our civilization are so much benefited by, by, by this move and the mixing and the understanding each other. And I think our, our intelligence is so much uh, uh, as a result of this kind of 
human move. That's that's why I, I am more interested in in the more positive side of uh, humanity and uh, come from this kind of conflicts. And the second question you're talking about what? Oh, the what kind of audience? It's it's for me really. I, I made the film really for myself to 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 to. It's true. I'm I'm so surprised people still uh, feel somehow interested, but it's really deeply it's for myself. What a selfish thing to do. It's true. Uh, well, <laughs> look, uh, all that uh, remains for me is to thank the New America. Uh, team for putting this on, to thank Richard uh, Geert, and of course to thank Ai Weiwei for an extraordinary uh, film. Um, thank, thank you all for being here, and please, please bear in mind as you go out, uh, one of my favorite politicians is the former, was the former mayor of West Berlin, he became chancellor of what was then West Germany, uh, Willy Brandt, and he has this extraordinary phrase which came out of his experience in the Cold War, running Berlin, and then he reflected after the fall of the Berlin Wall that, quote, the walls of the mind can be much more enduring than walls made of concrete. And at a time when, certainly in this country, walls made of concrete are being talked about and even built, it's really important to take on the walls of the mind. And I think that Ai Weiwei's film is an enormous resource in taking on walls of the mind. So from me, thank you very much for what you've done. Uh, one final announcement, I'm sorry. The film opens this Friday, so please go and do reviews on Rotten Tomatoes or other uh, websites uh, as soon as possible. <laughs>